0: Kenji, welcome to the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you on.
1: I am happy to be here, thanks.
0: You were one of my good friends, and so you're naturally one of the the earliest people that I've asked on the podcast, but even though I know you pretty well, maybe you can introduce yourself to the audience.
1: I'm the CEO and founder of Acuity, a firm that's headquartered out of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, We have about a little over 100 employees based all over the U.S. now and some international. And when we started the firm, we started out doing advisory work, fractional CFO, fractional controller. And then over our now 17 years, we've moved into an outsourced bookkeeping group and even a tax service line, which are both things I thought I would never be doing. But I guess over time, your firm evolves a bit.
0: This episode of Accounting Salon Conversations is sponsored by our launch partner, Rippling. Rippling is more than payroll, and now that most employees are working remotely, your clients need more than just payroll. They need payroll, HR, and IT all working together in an all-in-one modern, flexible system. By using Rippling, when you add a new employee to payroll, you're simultaneously enrolling them in benefits, instantly setting up their email, and even sending them a computer preloaded with all the software and apps they need to do their job. Imagine how impressed your clients will be when this takes only 90 seconds. Right now, I'm sure most of you are doing just payroll, but with Rippling, you'll be able to expand the advisory work you're offering your clients. Rippling offers accountants free payroll and HR for their firms, a client dashboard, dedicated accountant support, And white glove migrations from other just payroll systems. To learn how you can evolve your client advisory services beyond bookkeeping and just payroll, head over to Accounting Salon Conversations promo slash Rippling. That's Accounting Salon Conversations promo forward slash R I P P L I N G. Rippling everything your clients need. And just for listeners of the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast, Rippling is offering a $100 Amazon gift card for any listener that attends a demo. Well, I definitely want to talk more about the firm later on in our conversation. But what I try to do with most of the guests is talk about, like have a little bit of a, a throwback and think about the first time we met. So you, I, I had heard about you through the Zero world a good bit. And I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the first time I laid eyes on you was probably this crazy account tax in Las Vegas, maybe 2016.
1: I think that's right, but I will say I know exactly where it was. Not to be like weird and creepy or anything like okay. that. That's exactly right. Like we, um, I remember you were a Zero ambassador, and um, we had just been working with Zero for a couple of years. And at Account Countex, they did a kind of a meetup dinner. And I remember it was at um, it was over at the um, not the Bellagio, but um, one of the other the indoor place where all the Venetian, I guess the Venetian, right? Where all they have all the little, you know, indoor gondolas and stuff. And they were doing a, I think we were doing a dinner, either they or Caesars, and I remember we all caught up and that's where I first met you. I remember absolutely meeting you there because at the time I also was like, wow, she knows a lot about zero. But I didn't quite understand what the ambassador role was and I'm like but she seems to have a firm too so you were actually one of the very first people I ever met who was a zero ambassador and I think that was the first notion I had that you could have this kind of blended role of like oh really working closely with um, a software partner but also being a firm owner so I very distinctly remember meeting you first if that's not yeah. too weird and creepy <laughs>
0: no I think I think that is 100 percent correct and um, it is not at all creepy since we're good friends now. Yes, uh, that was that was a wild account text. If anybody was at 2016, that was like, well, maybe it you know, I might good. be over romanticizing it because it was wild. no, it is wild. I might be over romanticizing it because those were the good days when we could travel and see each other in person and
1: um, we travel. So, in Vegas, I think um, I remember a few of the accounting software companies were pretty loose with budgets. And when you're in Vegas with loose budgets, yeah, it can get, it can get wild, man. Don't sleep on, don't sleep on a bunch of accountants who don't get out very often. Like they can tear it up, which we certainly were up for.
0: <laughs> that is 100% true. That's almost as, um, it was almost as wild as XeroCon um, Atlanta, which we won't talk about on, on the air right now.
1: Yeah, you know, there um, may be, you know, some FCC guidelines that yeah, prohibit. it.
0: <laughs> they're going to have to, they're going to have to bleep out some of the stuff that happened anyway. Uh, so, so that was the first time we met and then we you know, have worked together on um, different things in different ways and cross paths a lot. But what is uh, one thing I wanted to bring up is that you were really there at the beginning of the idea of doing accounting salon. You and your partner at Acuity, Matthew, had come to New Orleans. Yeah. And we went out and had lots of good food, of course. But I remember sitting at a bar with you guys and being like, I kind of have this idea what do you think? I don't even know if I got the whole thought out. I was like, what do you think if we just grabbed a bunch of friends and some drink and you were like, I'm in. <laughs> so you're, you're yeah, in the first place. It girl.
1: didn't take you um, very long to sell that idea. It was one of those where um, didn't ha- I didn't have a very good poker face. It was like, yes, we can get our other friends together who were in the profession. And I remember that conversation very distinctly. Uh, even through all, all the fun we were having and the cocktails and things we were imbibing just because you had been thinking about it. Matthew and I were in new Orleans for another conference, not kind of not really an accounting conference, but we were experimenting a little bit. Actually it was a managed services conference. We were kind of thinking about were their tangents in the accounting space to manage services. So we decided to go and we'd started like reaching out to other friends of ours, like you, right? When we never we travel, like, oh, let's see what Amanda's up to. Let's check in with David. Let's check in with you know Blake, whoever it might be. Whenever we were traveling, and we were just having so much fun doing that. And I think because the relationships we'd formed at the accounting conferences had been so formative, um, those were the things we always looked forward to. And I think you were really at the point where you had taken it steps further and had said well, why don't we just cut out some of the stuff about the conferences we don't like and just get all of our crew together and people who are, you know, other firm owners. And so, yeah, it just really hit home because you were describing like your vision was kind of a little bit of what we were experiencing in New Orleans. Like, oh, we're going to go have fun together. We're going to talk about what's going on in our firm's lives. So it just really, yeah, it was an easy, easy sell for me.
0: Well, let's take that. Um, the next step, which talk to me what's going on in your firm's life, life, I guess. Um, as you mentioned, Acuity is 17 years old, which is I mean, that probably makes you guys like the <laughs> the oldest truly cloud advisory firm. Like you were, I think I think about my practice and being eight years old that I was at sort of the beginning. I feel like I was kind of at the beginning of cloud of cloud adoption in the accounting space, but you guys, I mean, you you built a practice that was way ahead of, um, of others. So tell us how you, what that journey was, was like, and especially I'm interested to hear how you started as advisory and then backed into stuff that you never thought that you would have.
1: Yeah, we definitely have a little bit of a reverse order way of how we've kind of constructed the firm, probably compared to most firms. um, But it probably also is one of the reasons why we've been around for 17 years because really at that point, '04 when we started, there really wasn't much of a context around cloud. Um, Yet, I think what was similar was we were – I was feeling like – my partner and I were feeling like there was a gap in accounting services. There was just this – people kind of felt like, oh, either you're an accounting firm and you do tax and audit – and that's it. Or maybe you're a bookkeeper. But there didn't really seem to be a whole lot in between. And we were seeing some gaps. And I had I had been um, in global public accounting for a number of years, moved from that during the tech boom to a tech company where I was the controller, then became the CFO. And through that process, realized, oh, yeah, there's a big gap when we get down to the early stage, smaller businesses. They're not... Um, they're really not getting much in the way of accounting services. You get a tax person who meets with you once a year. Maybe you find a bookkeeper on Craigslist or you ask your office manager to do the bookkeeping. And there's just this massive gap in accounting services. And why? Because my experience had most recently been in CFO and controllership, which we think of advisory and I think most of them We just thought, well, how do we carve that up a little bit? And it helped that, um, being pretty outgoing accountants, which is a little unusual. Made a bunch of friends who were kind of early business owners who honestly would just invite me out for, like, hey, can I take you to lunch or can you go grab beers? I've got, I need some help on thinking about how I build this financial model or how I do X, Y, and Z. I can't afford a full time CFO. So I got some practice while I was the CFO of this tech company, just going and hanging with some friends or other business owners who. Wanted to pick my brain, and I was like, "Okay, that's enough customer discovery for me at this point to at least give it a shot." Um, and so that's kind of what got gives the courage to start something. Now, I will say that we were early in the fractional CFO space. There was another firm. Some people were listening. Maybe if they remember way back, a firm called Tatum Partners. I really credit Tatum Partners. It was um, the two Tatum brothers actually created it out of Atlanta. Were probably the very first fractional CFO firm I'd ever heard of. They ended up selling it um, a number of years ago to, um, who was it? was it Maybe it was Account Temps or I forget who it was, but public company. Um, anyway, they they were the ones who started it. And so we kind of saw that as a little bit of a vision. But our different vision was we really love smaller business, entrepreneurial firms. We wanted really to target it there. So yeah, that's how we kind of got going. And I thought, for, I thought we would stay... As an Atlanta-based firm who did CFO and controllership on a fractional basis, very niched kind of forever, and it didn't quite happen that way.
0: <laughs> so. so, what was what was the catalyst? Like, why add? Um, you guys have also a bookkeeping division. You have a tax division. I mean, are you are you giving audit the hard no? <laughs>
1: That's a hard no. Audit is a hard, hard no for us being, um, with Matthew and I being former auditors, Matthew being an audit partner in particular, former audit partner, recovering audit partners, he would say. Audit's a hard no for us. It was a great place we look back at for learning when we were young staff people. I think many people had that experience. Uh, And I have a lot of friends now who who stayed and are are audit partners in the big four, done very, very well. And I've kind of learned through time how much more different they are than I am from a technical capacity, from their interest level of things. So, yeah, audits not going to come on the on the block for us for sure. But so um, what well, was
0: it that made you pull in tax? It's, you guys only did that in the last eighteen months, two years. Yeah, or a couple so. it
1: years. Been- couple years. It's really similar to the way we got into bookkeeping, I would say. And that is, um, there was some, there was some ego in place of coming from out of like big six, big four of like, well, we're always going to do this very. Um, you know, very niche, very um, boutique. I think I used to use the word boutique all the time, and now I'm kind of embarrassed by that. A like boutique firm where we're only do the high-level accounting work. We only want to do advisory. I think there's always, and it, it, it persists today, there's this obsession with advisory that it's something very magical. It is very important, but it's not always what it's all cracked up to be. Um, And so one of the challenges that we ran into was we would close a, a deal with a client who wanted CFO services and we'd get there and guess what? The books were a train wreck and that happened over and over. So we saw a natural limit to the work we could do because the underlying bookkeeping was so bad. And so we would, Oh, we know a bookkeeper. They can maybe fix it. And we kind of kept doing that for a couple of years and we tried a couple of times hiring some bookkeepers to go out on site to kind of do the work. We didn't do that very well. Once we saw that problem, and then we actually started seeing the cloud solutions come and evolve, QBO, Zero. that was where the light bulb went off for us. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think there's a way now that we as a bunch of CFOs and CPAs would rebuild a bookkeeping solution Based on some of the new cloud technologies. And so that intersection of really the emergence of the cloud accounting technologies with our frustration of work we couldn't get to was what really was the real catalyst. That got us going. So,
0: yeah, I love something you said that um, there's this conception that advisory is magical. <laughs> and I, I mean, you and I have seen this in the industry for, you know, the the last better part of the last decade where it's a carrot that's dangled out to firms you want to grow do advisory you want to have a lifestyle practice do advisory you want to whatever do advisory is the answer to everything but but a lot of times the folks that are dangling the carrots are not giving logistical advice on how to to do it Um, it's not magical right but but you can't do advisory without with crappy books (laughs) with crappy Mm -hmm. data you just like advisory is built on good data. so nice. to, to pull it in, I think makes a lot of, a lot of sense.
1: It, it does and I think that just for a little tangent on advisory, um, there's some great things about it because I think advisory practice, your bill rates are just high. They're on the higher side of what you can charge for um, for accounting services. So when you get advisory work, Wow, it's really nice to look at your P and L and see this huge bump, and like, look how fast we're growing, and look how much, you know, how, how large our firm is. And so that's nice. Um, I think another thing that's nice about advisory is the client has a more more of a natural proclivity to let you, the advisor, lead the engagement. They're kind of almost by the same way of saying advisory. They're saying, "Hey, I don't exactly know how to do this. Can you guys come and help?" And so we tend to see a little bit more respect given to CFOs and controllers. I think that's a bit unfair, honestly. Um, but they tend to let the CFO and the advisor run a bit more with the engagement. You can craft it yourself. The downside is um, a, a number of things. And I think the downsides can be the margins are not as good on advisory. I mean, these are really qualified people. You've got a bunch of CFOs. They're going to demand, and they should demand most of the bill rate, whatever you're charging. You're going to get it back. So great that your top line looks great, but your bottom line may not be what you think it is. Um, it's also a lot harder to scale. It's just much more difficult to scale because you're really limited by the capacity of those advisors. It's it's not that you can't scale advisors. There's a lot of discussion, really good discussion about how to do that. Um, it is more challenging to scale than traditional. Um, compliant services and transactional accounting services. So it's great. We're really proud of it. We call it our, our advisory, our heritage kind of practices. It's who we were built on. But it is not, to your point, Amanda, it is not the, oh, this magical thing that's going to fix everything in your phone.
0: So that's an interesting an interesting point about the margins being narrower with advisor, at least at least the advisory pieces that you guys are focused on, which is the CFO controllership Stuff does that mean that there is more opportunity in lower-level bookkeeping, accounting work to do things like leverage technology? To how do those compare? I guess is and is that really not so much possible as possible in CFO and controllerships?
1: Yeah, what we found is that the emergence of better technology in, in the accounting space has been much more beneficial right now to the lower level. It's been been more beneficial to bookkeeping, probably some to tax, and it's taken a while to really move up to the controller and CFO level. So the tools that have been put in place just have been more beneficial there. We found that um, our team members, very candidly, um, at the bookkeeping level are much more open to new things. We've got great CFOs, but this is it's much like an old accounting firm partner, where those were, when I was in public accounting, some of the hardest people to, to adopt new technology and new practices. They've been around the block for many, many years. And CFOs can be that way too. They have been a little more resistant to changes in technology, but also they haven't had some of the really good stuff to utilize. So we're just starting to see some of that now in the in the form of I think there's been an emergence over the past few years of forecasting dashboards we've seen that from everybody from giraffe and, and flowcast and helm and many others that's starting to emerge as some tools that cfos and advisors can sink their teeth into um, we do a lot with startups uh, things around cap table management some stuff gets more complex within the equity section of a balance sheet that's starting to emerge a bit more too so we're starting to see a few more components but not nearly like if you were to go into zeros in an app store and look across, you know, the, I'm not sure how many there are, eight, nine hundred, maybe a thousand different pieces of software in the store. The majority of those are probably going to apply still toward the lower level of the accounting function. And we're still waiting on more and more to kind of come out to help the, the advisory practices. So yeah, it's been a little tougher to apply technology. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're getting better leverage um, and better margins at more the transactional accounting side.
0: Well, that's a pretty good place to be. I mean, you guys have, you've got, you know, the uh, high volume, low touch stuff on one side, but the, then the high billing and higher touch stuff on the other side. So um, that explains why you guys are now at 100 employees or more, over 100. Probably, 100. They've probably hired people since we've been on this podcast. Mm-hmm. You probably have more than 100 now. I
1: don't now. think so. I don't, <laughs> but It's been a lot for sure, or at least for me. Well, you-
0: you guys did grow in a chunk last year by acquiring a firm.
1: We Tell did. Us a bit about that. Sure. It's something that we've been thinking about for a while. Um, but we actually started on the other side of the table where we had larger firms, and these are more traditional accounting firms, started looking at us and in their mind realizing, hey, you guys seem to be doing a decent job figuring out CAS, right? Um, Find accounting solutions. And I think the firms have – traditional firms have struggled a little bit in that. So we were, as a firm with a little bit more scale, had become pretty attractive to other regional firms trying to figure out a CAS practice or a write-up practice. Um, So we had a lot of conversations there. We had some conversations, even with some private equity, about doing a roll-up in the space. I think many of us who work in it know it's a very fractured and fragmented space, lots and lots of firms. So we had some discussions there. And our, our takeaways from that were, um, not real positive for, for us. And this is just specific to me and my business partner. We didn't think the valuations were great. Um, we weren't. We didn't have clarity on whether the culture, the things we loved about what we built could be could remain intact post the transaction. And so we kind of dawned on us: We're like, maybe we should switch sides on the table. Maybe it's better to be a buyer right now than a seller. And so we've talked about it and kind of dipped our toe and, Interestingly enough, I think, uh, I know I've heard this on the Cloud Accounting Podcast with David and Blake and through other places, but really I think AICPA put out some information about, that validated some of our thoughts around that 75% of AICPA members were eligible for retirement in 2020. And so that seemed logical to us because we were running into more and more older firm owners. We typically, like, we kind of normally hang out with these kind of younger cloud firms, but when you really step back and look at it, like, wow, you go to a conference and you'd see these firms that had good firms, but they had just been around for a long time. So there was a lot of, there are a lot of firms right now um, and, and people who are at a point where they're ready to get on to that next part of their life, whether that's playing with grandkids or playing golf or hiking, whatever it is, is and they're kind of thinking about, how do I transition out of my firm and so we wanted to get a transaction in, even though the pandemic hit, and we moved forward with one up in New Hampshire. Um, it was a 10-person firm up there that was mostly bookkeeping and tax work um, to kind of try the test this theory out. Like, all right, are there? Is it a better time right now to be a buyer of firms? And certainly we have to think in terms of better financially for us as a firm. But one of the other theories that we talked about, I actually spent a lot of time talking to Liz Mason about this because I love Liz's approach to this. We talked about acquisitions being not something you think of from a Wall Street of private equity, like Machiavellian, I'm going to come over and take over and strip this thing apart and squeeze out all the profits. But how do you do it in a way that really dignifies the profession? There was an accountant who came before us who built up a practice who's now ready to move on. How do we handle their clients with grace and dignity and give them a good transition. How do we do the same thing with your people? And certainly how do we make it economically viable for us as a firm and for that exiting, you know, um, owner, that exiting accountant. So that's kind of been the theory we've been working on. Can we, it's a lot of pieces of the pie to make sure all work. Um, We are now about four months into the integration of these two firms you know, so we're still figuring out what's working, what needs to be revised next time around. But it's been a good experiment, a good theory there. And I think if firms are interested in growing in, like I guess how you said it, like in chunks, Amanda, there's certainly a really good time to do it right now. I mean, it's a little, again, a little weird that we've done all this without having to meet them. We've done it all through Zoom and things like this, but it is very doable. Well,
0: I think it's it's an issue that's not going away. I mean, the, the issue being tons of account accounting accountants practice owners retiring i mean that's that's going to be it's got to be if it's not already a buyers market it's got to definitely become going to become much of a more of a buyers market but let me throw this in there if you're if we're talking about retiring accounting practice owners you know you guys are on the forefront of technology and service offerings and a lot of these targets I suspect would not be. How, what what does that mean overall? Because it's not a one-for-one exchange. Does it mean that you know you have to do better due diligence and dig deeper than maybe you had before? So if the traditional accounting acquisition model was based on revenues, you know, did you do you think or did you guys go deep in what is underlying looking at clients, looking at technology, looking at staff? Um, how does how do you, how do you think having done this once and I've seen you probably I would love to see you guys do it a bunch more times um, how, how do you what does that process look like what have you learned and would you do anything differently
1: There's probably a lot we would do differently just from our learnings and we knew that going in um, but I think we started with stepping back and looking at really what we believe are the three reasons that anybody does an acquisition and you're trying to either get value out of some kind of intellectual property that the other firm may have that you don't you're trying to get access to people um or you're trying to get the clients and i think it's it's important to be real clear on which of those or what combination of those is most important to get the deal done appropriately and where you started this with is a what when, when, when if there's a technology difference right and i think one thing that does is clarifies pretty quickly is it's unlikely with these retiring firms you're probably picking up any real intellectual property of um, from a technology standpoint. Now, there may be some really good, more manual processes that they have in place that sometimes we as cloud firms, like we know it all and we've got the best processes. I'll give a good example of this firm. Um, even though we definitely have a, a more sophisticated technology stack than they do, um, they have always built their clients all their clients every single week even on a, on a fixed price basis so right they're doing that and they have like no receivables they've got everything just really really tight and they do it all via ach so that was something that was a little surprised to us there are some ip things you can take away but for the most part i would say don't worry about ip the people side of it maybe there's some people there as well too i think most people going through this process are going after that third piece they're going for more clients you're trying to grow in that chunk just like you mentioned. And so that's where the diligence probably should really be applied is on the client base. Let's really understand the clients. And that starts getting into what is the engagement? What do their typical engagements look like with these clients? What are they doing for them? How are they doing it? Which tools are they using? Um, And then thinking through at a more deep level of, okay, is this going to be a real culture shock to that client? Because If it is and the client says, well, we expect our team to be on site all the time and we expect to come into your office to get our tax returns done and we need to fax you a bunch of things or drop things off in the office and you're a cloud-based firm who's virtual, you may run into a real problem. And that's where some of the discounting of the valuation may come into your mind going, you know, there's going to be a real culture shock with the clients here. It could be. Um, And we may need to think about how well we're going to retain these because i think the key if you're getting your clients is what's the most likely situation you're going to be able to retain them if they're are they going to fall off as soon as you make the announcement that hey acuity is our you know we've merged with acuity and they go well that scares the heck out of me or i don't like them and they leave well there goes a ton of value or if even 6 months after you you've you've pushed them into some uncomfortable state of guess what we're going to have we're going to give you this world of technology and some of these mom and pops may look at you and go, well, that's scaring me. And they leave. You're going to lose a lot of value. And so there's some ways from a deal structure that you can, you know, certainly earn out some yeah. things like that that you can protect yourself. But I would, I would go back and, and really spend time really looking at the, at the client base and thinking, do we have a risk? They're not going to stick with us because of how how we, how we are. Or also on the other side, do we have a bunch of services they've never been exposed to that they're going to love and if they fall more in that category, and you feel good about retention, it may be something you really want to get. Okay, we're, we're willing to get over some of the technology hurdles and things to get there. So
0: that's very optimistic of you, Kenji.
1: <laughs> it is. I mean, it, it, you have to be. You have to be because the doing the deal is fun. Doing the integration of it is really challenging. And so, if you don't stay optimistic, you're just going to be you're going to be annoyed and upset all the time.
0: Yeah, I'm working with. Um, with some firms with a one particular firm right now he just did an acquisition and they're doing you know, trying to fold in this other practice into their practice. And same thing, there were, there were some surprises, you know, you look at it at a very high level and you say, well, there are this many clients, this many tax returns, this much revenue. But then you start digging in and you're like this, you know, predecessor firm was charging $50 for a tax return or, yeah. you know, the, the pricing is bad. So, you not only have to think about which clients might leave you because of tech differences or cultural differences, you have to think about, are they going to leave because you put in realistic pricing? So, well, let's talk about something um, more fun than accounting. <laughs> so, you and I have, um, it's funny. You and I are very similar in the things that we did.
1: So similar.
0: Yeah. Um, so like you kind of are the, male Amanda in a lot
1: of ways.
0: But a couple of things that you and I have really connected on. Um, one is love of outdoors, especially mm-hmm. backpacking and hiking. Yeah. So you live in a much better place for it because you're in Northern Georgia. I'm in the swamps, <laughs> so I don't get to do as much as I'd like. Um, but tell me, tell me about like how that's how that is such a big part of your life, how it became a part of your life. And I know it's something that you've passed on to your kids and, and gotten them very uh passionate about too
1: yeah yeah it's hard to figure out kind of where it manifested because i was not i mean i went camping as a kid and things like that started doing it more in college when i got into i was in school in north carolina some great areas there so sometimes the circumstances kind of get you into it um but also and i guess i'll share an experience from last week so last week i was out in colorado and i have some family out there and some friends and i went on um, what's called a hut trip. So think of it as you would have loved this. I'm a I love snow skiing. Love it. And this is like a combination of hiking and snow skiing. You literally hike with skis on into the backcountry for four hours. We went to this hut, we camped there overnight, and we skied out of there. And um, so I had a very recent experience, you know, that kind of hit me. And it was such that like I what I remembered was my dad was a very hard working doctor um, back in the day. And I remember as a kid watching my dad with a very stressful job. He dealt with a lot of car accidents and trauma and stuff. So he was on call a lot. Um, for some reason when we were in the outdoors with him, especially when we were out west in Colorado, I always just watched my dad's stress level and like blood pressure. You can just see it drop, right? And so I think that stuck with me. And then over time, my son who's 18, um, got very involved in Boy Scouts and because of being kind of a, I guess a firm owner and not being employed by a firm, I have more flexibility in my schedule. So I've done a bunch of camping trips with him and saw his love of the outdoors take off. Um, it just kind of was interesting when I was thinking about, as I was hiking up this hut last week, I thought, I kept thinking about trips I'd been on with my son and it was pretty emotional. I won't get on it, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe think of it. And think of my dad being at peace. It's kind of really kind of all kind of came together in in, in a cool moment. But I think it's that, like, yeah, it was this interesting kind of father-son thing I was thinking of and just how relaxing and getting away from it is out there. So um, it's something that I've probably even leaned into more and more. I think you and I have both been that way, right? I'm not sure it was one that I was super into growing up. It's become really important to me more and more. And my wife and I make a big – put a big effort in 2021. We go – essentially hiking every weekend together like that's one of our big outlets um, getting outdoors and such so yeah it's um, when you started doing some of your trips especially on the 18 and we get to start talking about gear and things like that I think you're right we were such peas in the pod of I think finding a way that we're not in front of our computers doing journaling whatever we're doing from an accounting perspective being outdoors and something like that is such a great for me release and I'm guessing it's probably the same for you too
0: Yeah, I think it's um, being a woman doing this kind of stuff is super powerful because it's not like that's not how we're culturally programmed, right? To go out in the woods with everything you need to survive on your back and then come out three days later stinking, you know, (laughs) hairy legs, whatever. That's just not that's just not how we've been programmed. I mean, I I grew up in the country, but I didn't grow up backpacking. So I've always loved the outdoors. But doing my first backpacking trip was, and, and, and to back up for a second, you know, I went to school in, in Colorado. I went to grad school at the university of Denver. And so that's probably where I got my first taste of it because like I said, growing up in South Louisiana, I mean, it is flat y'all. You can see, you know, across the, you can see straight to the horizon for, you know, hundred miles. So there's, there's not too much to hike here, but going to, to grad school in Colorado, I got a taste of how beautiful the summers are in the mountains. And like, I was just hooked. Um, it's but easy to so, get hooked
1: with that. would you? So, question I mean, I, I wonder if um, some of the same reasons you and I love the outdoors are probably some of the same reasons we started our own firms, right? I mean, I think about wanting that independence, wanting that freedom. You know, and and the reason – I mean, it certainly is not easy starting your own firm. But, like, I know know that was very important to me, and I think it was to you, of, like, freedom to kind of have a life the way you want to and and to be independent like that. I always feel a very similar way, like, outdoors. Oh, you just feel free. And when you're carrying all your stuff and you're getting through a section of the AT or you've been out wherever, out west hiking, like, you feel really accomplished. Like, I took care of myself. I did it on my own. And I don't know. It just has a – I'm curious if that maybe resonates with you about why you started your firm and being out and doing it on your own.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe so. So yeah. So my pull to being, to doing these, these um, backpacking trips is like, I got, I got, I got this. Like if I can survive for days on my own without another person, without, you know, plumbing. um, I mean, there's just something super empowering about that. So a couple, so yeah so maybe that maybe that self-reliance was part of why i started my own practice the idea that i don't have to ask anybody i'm just doing it on my own i'm i'm have enough um i'm confident enough in my abilities that that you know i i can i can pull it together somehow i'll pull it out of the ditch <laughs> you know things go sideways but more than that it's like you know when you've done trips like this and then you get um and i mean i'm talking about i don't want to say i want to Oversell it like it's not survivor. I mean, it's not like I was ever in real danger. I mean, my mother probably thought that I was, (laughs) which is why I don't tell her when I go. But you know, it it does put your the rest of your entire life perspective in perspective. So when you are out there, and I know you did a, a huge like super remote trip a couple years ago, but when you get out there and you like literally have no running water, all your foods in your backpack, you do not shower, you poop in the woods, the whole thing. And you get back to real life. I mean, you go and you're like, there's this amazing thing in the kitchen. You lift the handle and water comes out and it's drinkable. And like, you just have this super, this appreciation for all these small things and you get to the stresses of a practice and you're like, well, this is artificial. All this is artificial. These are artificial problems, you know, like they're not real problems like trying to figure out where you're getting water in 10 miles. That's a problem. That's a life problem. But um But the fact that my bank feeds disconnected from zero for 24 hours, not a real problem.
1: (laughs) Definitely is a good perspective check for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So let's wrap up on um, one thing that you and I do. Another thing that you and I do have, in um, common is we have teenagers about almost exactly the same ages.
1: We do we do?
0: How's that been <laughs> for the last twelve months oh, for you guys?
1: It has been. It has been so rough. I'm not going to lie. It's been unbelievably rough. And I don't. We have so many families who work at Acuity. So I get. I, I very often get the perspective too of. You know, a parent who has really young kids in the house, and oh my gosh, that blows my mind. Thinking of all the challenges they have, and our kids are really independent. They're 16 and 18, but we really saw this year. It was it was a very tough year for one of my kiddos in particular. Um, it's really strengthened us as a family. But one of our kiddos went through a really tough time, and it's the kind of the things that you know that she went through that um, any parent would just be you know you know apoplectic and concerned about and she's gotten through it well and you know it's it highlighted something for us around just mental well-being right we're lucky we have physically capable kids but you know i think this pandemic whether it's been in our firms or our families for me it put a big spotlight on on that when one of our when one of our kids had a real challenge with mental health and it's just opened our eyes to man so many people are going through this and we're now we're I don't know if we're at the point of being thankful for it quite yet. It's still like a little bit like, oh, it's just tough with these kiddos. But we do know that we are going to be more, we're going to be more thankful and more prepared for challenges with any other family member who's going to go through tough times. So it, it was very difficult, um, like I'm sure many people's have been in different ways. But we are, man, as a family, we are super stoked to get out of 2020 and into 2021 and onto some other things. But not to say it was all bad, too. We, we also, I don't know about you were, too, we got to spend a lot of time with the kids, which at this age, they are running from you as quickly as possible. And so it's kind of nice. We're like, man, we got a bunch more time with them. Not that they wanted it, but when normally as teenagers, teenagers with driver's license, there would be no way we'd be able to keep them out. So that's been awesome. That we've had that, but um, it was yeah. They're, really-
0: always, they're like you know, opposite poles of a magnet sometimes, like especially with my daughter, Um yes I like walk in the room and she bounces out the other side you know yeah. like she has nothing to do with me nothing I, to do with me I'm absolutely,
1: absolutely. I, mean, I think those kiddos in certain many ways are such good learning you know I, I keep thinking they're gonna be these I mean they're, they're all bigger than we are at least in my household all the kids are bigger than me and my wife same and so you kind of tend to think oh they're adults yet yeah. and they're not quite there yet but it's been a great opportunity to kind of get refocused on some things and we're coming out stronger from it. I think like most people hopefully are from 2020, but, um, yeah, we're, man, we were, fl- we, we flushed 2020 down the toilet. We're like, let's get the hell out of here.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, I think, um, all our kids are going to turn out. Okay. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. I know that, um, I know that you guys are, you and your wife are both great parents. So,
1: well, like you, that's, no that's the other thing. Leaning—I tell you what—leaning on other parents. I mean, that's the big thing too. Is you go, you go through, and you start talking about this, and you're like, "Oh, you're not alone in this." And so, whether it's as a firm owner, as a parent of kids, it's good to get out and talk about it because that—that's been hugely helpful to us. As someone else going, "Oh, wait a minute, we went through that too." We're like, "Oh my gosh, can I talk to you about it?" So, oh yeah.
0: Well, as usual, you and I talked about a lot for the last forty or so minutes, but uh, and it was it was great to talk to you virtually, of course. But I can't wait to hopefully see you in person this summer, or maybe more than once. Um, I would we'll- love
1: that, my friend. I mean, again, so many things for us to connect on. I think that's why we knew back in the days of account techs in Vegas. We're like, huh. <laughs> we kind of vibe on a bunch of these funky levels, whether it's accounting or kids or you know backcountry you know trips or Bluegrass music, or whatever it might be, all kinds of things that you and I have had in common. So I can't wait to spend more time with you. Same,
0: same, my friend. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for being a part of this.
1: Thanks for having me.